as I was saying in prayer, God is committed to getting us into the promises. But sometimes as Christians, we feel like we're never going to get to those promises. They, they seem to be at such a distance. And I would call that defeat. Have you ever felt defeated as a Christian? Have you ever felt like you were losing the battle against your own nature? Like you're, I am not going to lose my temper no matter what. And you lose it. And you're like, no. Or I'm going to be nice to everybody I meet. And, and then you only meet mean people all day long. Or you're like, I I don't want to be so angry. Why am I so uptight? I want to relax. I want to breathe. I want to just accept circumstances as they come. Maybe you've even made resolutions like that. I mean, how many have already broken a New Year's resolution? Okay, you're among friends. Or I'm I'm going to resist that temptation. I'm going to be so strong. I'm going to resist the cease candy. I'm not going to have sugar. I'm not going to have chocolate. I'm not going to have fats. I'm going to resist. And we all know how long that lasts. Then have you ever felt defeated against the devil? You feel like you're beaten up. All the time you're under it, not over it. Like, he's so strong. He's just mean and he's after me. I remember talking to this missionary and her favorite phrase was, I'm just so slammed. I'm just getting slammed. I'm slammed by everybody. You know, and then you're, you're talking to her and she comes back. She's like, were you trying to slam me? Not me too. But you get that, that the devil, I don't have any power against him. He's just, you know, after me. And you find yourself always fleeing, trying to fight, but fleeing depression and discouragement. And it doesn't seem to be letting up. It's just like right there, ready to take you over. That's defeat. That's defeat or the world. Ever find yourself feeling that you're losing the battle against the world? Everything seems to be going wrong in your life. You feel the constant pressure of the world to conform and you're not making any spiritual progress. You feel defeated in your spiritual life with God. You feel like, why should I even pray? You don't answer my prayers. Do you even hear the words I'm praying? I mean, am I just praying the wrong way or what? I I remember a time of spiritual defeat in my own life that I felt like God was going to do the opposite of whatever I prayed. So I tried reverse psychology on God. It didn't work. Or your Bible study time just seems so tedious. Instead of, oh, I'm going to come to the word and God's going to speak to me. It's like, I need to read the word. How many verses do I have to read today? And how long is this going to take? I mean, I do have a life. And in the Bible study, it just seems so tedious, so dry. You're doing it because you're supposed to. And you have to. But not because you want to. Fellowship is so dry. It's, it's just like, why are you bothering? And these people just yak, 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 yak. You know, fine, I once felt that way. Yak, 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 yak. And you're not enjoying people. You're not enjoying the story of people or the work of God in their lives. It's just dry. 
And going to church is so arduous. It's so hard. I mean, you have to get dressed. And you have to put makeup on. And some of you, like me, we have to put our eyebrows on. That's crazy. But it just seems like it's so much work. And how long is this sermon going to be? I told him to keep it short because I know him. My dad loved to tell this story of um, one of my siblings really didn't want to go to church at all that night. And my dad said, don't worry, I'm keeping it short. It's, it's, we're showing a movie tonight. You like movies. You like movies, right? So the siblings sat on the first row. And my dad got up and kind of was overcome by the spirit. Did a little bit of preaching. And all of a sudden from the first row, I thought you weren't going to preach tonight. <laughs> but you know, we could, that's spiritual defeat. When, when, when those things that used to take so much pleasure in seem like they're taking so long and they're burdensome, that spiritual defeat And there are causes for spiritual defeat. The first cause is sin. When we're holding on to something that God has prohibited. And and we hold this thing and we even hide it thinking that nobody will know, nobody will see. It can be physical. It can be something in our possession that we shouldn't have when we know we shouldn't have it. It could be a stolen article, like you really need to return it. You need to take it back. Years ago, I went shopping. I was going on a trip. I had my toddlers with me. And I was looking at the toothpaste because I wanted to buy some travel toothpaste. And we were at a drugstore, and we got back. It was Savon's, but Savon's is no more, so I don't even know why I'm saying it, but Savon. And we got back to the church, and I said to Brian, Oh, no, I forgot the toothpaste. And my little son, Char, says, not to worry. And he opens up his backpack, and it's filled with all this sample toothpaste. We felt like we had the accursed thing. We're like, oh, what do we do? Take your son back to the store. I actually talked to our assistant pastor into doing it for me. And confessing, you know. I have a thief for a son. He steals toothpaste, but he's only three. Hey, it could be worse. But, you know, it can be something that we've taken, that we're holding on to physically, a sin that we practice, and we think, well, you know, I'm doing so good in the rest of my life. I'm only practicing this little sin. I'm only letting lying or or anger or hatred or bitterness. It's only got one part of my heart, but the rest is Jesus. It can be a place of disobedience where we're saying to God, not my will be done. I mean, not your will be done, but my will be done just in this area. It's a place where we're saying no to God. It can be spiritual, which can be an attitude, a place in our heart that's not fully submitted to God, a holdout place. It can be an affection Um, for an old boyfriend, a thought we entertain, a fantasy that we keep going back to that's not edifying, that's not good. It can be thoughts lodged in our heart about things that are prohibited by God. 
and it can even be a place of unbelief. So sin, sin will cause us defeat, to be defeated spiritually. But then there's a second one. And the second one is just as dangerous, and it's presumption. It's when we get ahead of God. And presumption happens when we do not seek God's plans or heart in all our ways. We kind of tend to think, I got this one covered. I know what I'm doing now. God, thanks for the help in the past, but now I know my way. I see what I'm supposed to do. I'm ready to go forward. And too easily we go rogue without realizing it. I tend to walk fast. And Brian tends to walk slow. And I can't even tell you all the places where I have gotten lost because I walk so fast and so far in front of Brian. I get an object, an objective, and I get single focused and I'm going to get to that objective and I'm going to get there 10 minutes early because I want, I'm going to get there. And Brian sees the objective and he just kind of looks at it. He loves it. He just starts kind of walking towards it. And then he'll talk to somebody. Yeah, I'm going to this objective. Maybe you want to come. He invites people. And I'm like, stop talking. Get to the objective. Let's go, go, go. In fact, sometimes he'll want to hold my hand. And I'm like, no, you're just holding me back. (laughs) This isn't romantic. This is restraint. (laughs) I'll never forget we we were in Victoria Station. And we had to catch a train. And Brian said to me, go, go, go. He never says, go, go, go. I know we're late. I grabbed um, Kelsey and Braden. They were four and six at the time. I grabbed their hands and I went running. I jumped on the train and they looked at me and they said, where is daddy? And I said, he's here. He's just in another car of this train, but we'll see him any second. And we waited. First stop, second stop, third stop, fourth stop. No daddy. Then we got out, and I realized that I was stuck at that train station because I didn't have our tickets. Brian had them, which he does to kind of restrain me. He had our tickets. So I'm stuck there. I can't take a bus. I don't have the key to the place we're staying. So we're waiting on this bench in this very dark, not a very safe place. We're sitting on this bench, and across the um, train tracks, There's some people, and I won't even describe them, but they're drinking something out of paper bags. That's all I know. It's a little scary. And so I'm like, let's sing a song. Jesus loves me this high. You know, we're singing. The three of us cuddle together. Two trains go by. Brian's not on them. But the third train these guys come running out. They jump over our train. They're screaming obscenities. They, I mean, they jump over the bench. They literally jump over the bench where I'm cuddled with my children. And then they get to the stairs. They start screaming obscenities at the crowd. They run back in it. And then the crowd parts, and these guys go running away. And there's Brian standing like an angel of God. And my other kids are with him. And I'm like, what just happened? He said, oh, those thugs tried to beat up this guy in this train. And I defended the guy and said, you're going to have to take me down if you're going to get to this guy. And I forgot this part. The people around him in England are applauding my husband. 
I'm like, what in the world? You ditch me and you get applause? You know, you get the glory of God and I'm here fighting off the devil. Like, don't you dare touch me or my children. We're singing Jesus loves me. But presumption, I get so far ahead and I can just think, I've got this. I know. And when we get ahead of God, we find ourselves alone against the enemy and without any cover. We attack because that is what others do. We use carnal methods and don't seek God's way. We can so easily, you know, you have people that say, well, what are you doing about this situation? What are you doing? And if you say, well, I'm seeking God, they're like, hmm, is that like be warmed and filled? No, you cannot do anything till you first seek the Lord. The world attacks. The world just goes for the goal. But we, as the people of God, we do not presume We make sure that the presence of the Lord is with us. We seek the Lord in all our ways. And we do not lean on our own understanding or our past experience. We seek the Lord. Finally, number three, we underestimate the enemy. This is another reason for defeat. This is a grave mistake. I have heard so many people who think they are smarter than sin and the devil. Like, I'm just going to sit a little bit. It's not going to do anything. You know, I had this man on a plane tell me that pot was not a gateway drug. And I said, well, maybe not to you. But I know this person and that person and this person and that person. It was the gateway, even if it's legal. It was the gateway to addiction to affliction. It was the gateway. But I have heard people think that they can dabble just a little bit with sin and not get in, not get addicted and not have any repercussions. But the Bible tells us that sin seduces us. It acts harmless. It acts like it's just this little city, just this little problem, and it can easily be overtaken any time you want. But Jesus said, as recorded in John 8, 34, most assuredly or without a doubt, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. Sin seduces that it might enslave. Romans 6, 16, Paul said, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey? You are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin to death or of obedience to righteousness. And then Romans 3, 23 tells us that the wages of sin, the cost of sin is ultimately death. Too often when Christians are defeated, rather than looking at the cause, the cause that might be in their hearts, what are you hiding in your heart, in their actions? They blame God. Like, God, where are you? Why didn't you help me? And this is such a typical scenario. And it is played out in living colors right here in Joshua 7. Now, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 11, that these things that happened 
happened to the Israelites as examples for us. And they were written to warn us that we wouldn't fall prey to the things that defeated them. So Joshua 7, right away, in these first four verses, reveals to us the cause for defeat. But as we continue in Joshua chapter 7, we see the cost of defeat. But, hallelujah, we see the cure for defeat. The cause of defeat, Joshua 7.1.4. These are exactly what we talked about before. I love the way the Bible opens with the problem. And it just tells you, like, here's the problem, and now you're going to be able to look for it, and you're going to be able to see it. You know, we know from verse 1, Achan took of the accursed thing, and it was causing problems for everybody. But now it plays it out for us. That's um, a very um, Hebraic way of... of, recording or communication. For instance, in Genesis chapter one, you have the creation. And then in Genesis chapter two, you have the detail of the creation. So you have that throughout the Bible. It'll often tell you the end story, the scenario, and then the next chapter will bring out the details. So here in verse one, we have the very, the first cause. It's because somebody has taken of the accursed thing. The children of Israel committed a trespass. A trespass is a direct violation against God's word. They went against the word of the Lord. The word here for trespass is the word ma'al, or uh, we get it like malicious, uh, malintent. It has to do with a treacherous act. They took the cursed thing, They held things that were cursed. The curse was on the very items that they took. God said, these items are cursed. They're cursed. It's the items themselves that bear the curse. And as long as they held those items, they were also cursed. The Bible tells us that sin is a reproach to any people. Proverbs 14.31. And even though the children of Israel were unaware, the sin was still there. And the repercussions of that sin were still occurring. The curse was in the camp of Israel. God saw it, and he could not bless Israel. He could not prosper Israel. He couldn't bring Israel into the promised land as long as the curse remained in the camp and on the camp. Again, it was a direct violation of God's word to Israel. They had been commanded. They had been warned. Joshua 6.18, And you, by all means, keep yourselves from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things and make the camp of Israel a curse and trouble it. But Achan, This man, Achan, thought he could ignore God's command, ignore God's warning, and still enrich his life 
at no cost to himself, no cost to his family, and no cost to the nation of Israel. The second cause, this was not Achan's, but this was on Joshua and the leaders of the people. And it's presumption. And we see it in verses 2 and 3. Joshua sends spies to access to access to to assess the strength I knew I would get that word third time was a charm Joshua again sent spies to assess the strength and size of the enemy this is a danger to judge the enemy by our seeming strength oh i've got this one i'm strong enough for this one have you ever done that i'm strong enough to take this sin i'm strong enough to defeat this I can do this one for God. The spies came back to report that AI would only require about two to 3,000 men and not the whole camp of Israel. We've looked at it. It's nothing compared to Jericho. I mean, Jericho was big. It was strong. We needed God on that one. But this one, we can do it for God. That's presumption. Joshua relied on the word of the spies rather than seeking the word of the Lord. In Joshua 5, because Joshua felt overwhelmed by Jericho, he was seeking the Lord and he's walking. And the commander of the Lord's army appears to him and says, follow me. Remember, Joshua says, are you for us or are you for your enemy? And the commander of the Lord's army says, no, but I've come as the commander of the Lord's army to lead you into all the promises. This is the way into the promises by following the commander. But now they're saying, we don't need the commander. We just need like two to 3,000 men and we've got this taken care of. But God has the plan for victory. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, Paul says, now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. The victory is by following, not by leading, but by following, by seeking out the plan of God and getting into the plan. You know, prayer, we often think of prayer as getting our will accomplished as, all right, God, this is what I want. Now follow me. But you know what prayer is? Prayer is opening our eyes to the commander and bringing us into the plans and purposes of God. It's that alignment of getting us behind the Lord. But this is presumption. And there is a pride in presumption because we think we know what we're doing. Joshua thought he knew what he was supposed to do. The spies thought they knew what they were supposed to do. We just attack, we take it down, we take the strongest men, we got this. This is a big, big cause of defeat when we judge by sight and not by prayer. When we do not seek the leading of the Lord and we forget or neglect to even ask for his plan, for his ways. It just looks so easy. We think we can take it. We can do it. Maybe you had what looked like an easy child. 
Like this one's my good one. This one's my gold one. Now I need help with these other three, but this one I got. This one, I've obviously done it right. And then that child hits 14 and all hell breaks loose. And you don't know what you're doing. And you find that everything you've ever done is counterproductive. And it's not working on this one. And you're feeling defeated. You're like, how old are you? And you've defeated me. Defeat. Because we're overconfident in our methodology. Well, I've guarded them from everything. We're overconfident in our parenting skills. We're overconfident in our experience. We're overconfident in ourselves. And we have attributed past victory to something we've done. I think of the church of Laodicea. And and Jesus says, you're lukewarm because you think you're rich, we're full, and we have need of nothing. And you haven't come to me for your clothing. You haven't come to me for your perspective. You haven't come to me for your nourishment and your sustenance. And I'm challenging you to buy and to come to me for everything, lest I spew you out and have nothing to do with you. The third cause of defeat for Israel was underestimating the enemy. We see that in verses 3b and 4a. AI looks small. It was not as big, fortified, strong by appearance as Jericho. This one they thought they could easily handle. They didn't think they needed God's help. It's so little. They didn't think they needed God's battle plan They didn't think they needed the full force of Israel. I don't need my brothers and sisters for this one. I can do this one all by myself. And they judged by their sight rather than by God's perspective. They measured the enemy against their own self-image. We're warriors. We've got the promises. We're going forward. You see, you can have the promises of God, but you have to be led by God, by Jesus, by Joshua into the promises. There's never a time that we deserve any of the promises of God. They are all ours only through Jesus. Peter made this mistake of underestimating the enemy. When Jesus told him that he and all the other disciples were going to fall prey to the enemy. And Peter looks at him and says, Jesus, mm -mm -mm, not me. I can see it with these guys. You know, I've been a little suspicious of John myself, but I've I've got this one. You know, I'll, I'll die for you. I'm ready just to give my whole life for you. And Jesus says to Peter in Luke chapter 22, verse 31, he says, Peter, he says, actually, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked for you by name that he may sift you like wheat. You don't know what you're up against, Simon. You don't know how strong the enemy is or how destructive his plans are for you. But then Jesus said, but Simon, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And when you are restored, when you're cured, strengthen your brethren. 
There's a cost. Well, and that's why Peter would tell us in 1 Peter 5 eight, don't underestimate the devil. He goes about as a roaring lion seeking those he could devour. Peter learned not to underestimate the enemy, something we need to learn lest we suffer defeat. Here's the cost of defeat, verses four through nine. This is what we see with Joshua and Israel. We see in verse four, they fled before the men of Ai. You see, when we are defeated, when we're holding on to sin, when we're walking in presumption, when we're underestimating the enemy, it will end up that we will be fleeing from the enemy. We'll constantly feel pursued. I have met people that say they don't pray about certain things because Satan comes after them when they pray about that thing. And you're like, are you kidding me? You're more interested in your comforts than a soul being saved? I had this one girl that came to me. She went to counsel with me. And she's like, you know what? I had these roommates at Bible college and I just felt something like about them that oh, I don't think they were spiritual enough. So I moved out of that room and then I moved to another room. And again, there was just this one check and I thought, no, her heart's not right. So I asked for another room. Now I'm in my third room and I'm telling you, I'm just feeling something. What do you think I should do? And I looked at him and I said, repent. Repent for your pride. Repent for wanting to live in your comforts and have an easy life. Repent for not going to battle with Jesus Christ for the souls of those girls in that room. Repent for not loving them enough to stay there and to fight for their souls and to fight for their hearts and to win them to Jesus. Repent. And she's like, whoa, is there someone else I could talk to at the church? I don't want to live my life looking over my shoulder like, what's the devil doing now and how close is he? I don't want to feel the devil's breath on my back. That's not how I want to live my Christian life, always being pursued, always on the defensive. Like, what's the world doing now to us? No, I want to say, how is the gospel advancing? That's how I want to live my life. They were in retreat. And they were afraid. Part of the cost of defeat is to feel pursued and afraid. If you feel afraid and pursued, if fear is dominating your life, you need, you need to take inventory. You need to find the cause of the defeat. Next, loss. Verses five through six, there was the loss of life. 36 men of Israel died. Now they were totally, totally disillusioned by this. They had fought against Jericho and not one life was lost. They had fought against Og and Bashan. Not one life was lost. But now 36 valiant men, 36 men who volunteered to go against Ai, are dead. We're talking friends, comrades, fathers, sons, now like dead on the battlefield. There's a loss of ground. 
They were chased away from the gate of Ai all the way to Shebarim and struck down on the descent. It was all going downhill and they kept being picked off. There was a loss of leverage. They lost the advantage over the enemy. The enemy had been scared and now the enemy's like, they're not that strong. Their God's not that strong. We don't have to be defeated. We don't have to give in. There's a loss of courage in Israel. The hearts of the people melted and became like water. The spirit of the people was discouraged. They had lost lives. They had lost land. And they had lost leverage to the little city of Ai. And the thought is, if we can't even win this little city, how are we supposed to have all the promises of God? If I'm suffering a loss here from this little thing that keeps defeating me, how can I possibly claim all the promises of God? There was a loss of reputation before the enemies. Verse 9, the enemies were hearing, Israel's a loser, they're not that great. Don't be intimidated by the Red Sea anymore. So they had a loss of reputation. After Jericho, after Og, Bashan, the Red Sea, the people of the land were, were quaking in fear because they knew that God was going with them. And then there was the loss of God's blessing upon them. God couldn't bless them as long as sin was there. Oh, the sense of the loss of God's blessing. That I'm not sure whether I'm going to be fruitful. I love Paul's prayer in Colossians that we might be fruitful in every good work. That no matter what we do, we can count that God's going to prosper it and use it. The blessing of God. The blessing of God that says all things work together for the good of those who love God and called according to his purpose. That absolute blessing, that assurity that no matter how bad it is, God's going to bring something good out of it. I love the blessing of God. I don't want to live my life without that blessing. I love the blessing of God. But also the presence of God, verse 12. They had the loss of the presence of God. God couldn't walk with them. Oh, I don't know what it would be to not walk with God. I remember one year of my life, my first year of college, walking in disobedience and sensing that God wasn't with me. And that sense of vulnerability, sensing that Satan could beat me up and take me down at any moment, it was horrific. Then the next Cost of defeat, doubt, paralysis, and depression. We read verses 6 through 9 that Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth before the ark of the Lord until evening. He couldn't move. He was unable to talk, to do anything. He was just there on his face before the ark. There was no place to go. Israel could not advance, but they couldn't go back. They had crossed a river. They had crossed a wilderness. They had crossed a sea. There was no place to go. No place to go backwards and no place to go forwards. And all the elders mourned with him and threw dust on their heads. There was depression. 
visible and internal. There was this feeling of doom. If we don't have God, as Moses said, if your presence does not go with me, do not ask me to leave this place. The sense of doom and vulnerability and nothing, nothing seems to be working out for the good. Joshua blamed the Lord. This is doubt. Doubt is when we blame the Lord. I thought you said I had some promise. I thought you said you were going to bring me into the promised land. See, he is doubting all the promises of God. He is doubting the word of God. He is doubting the goodness of God and the character of God. This is what happens when we walk in defeat. Joshua says, why have you done this to us? You haven't kept your word. This is your fault. We should have stayed where we were. We are totally without hope. You see, the cost of defeat is great. It is a loss. It is paralysis where we're stuck and it is doubt. Doubt of God's love, doubt of God's word, doubt of God's power, doubt of God's promises, and it is depression. It is the deepest form of mourning because it leaves you hopeless, without purpose, without cause. If our cause is not to come in and inherit the promises of God, then why are we here? And what is life about? There is no reason to live. That is defeat. Do you feel it? Yes. Now, let's go to the cure. Verse 10. I love verse 10. Because I'm telling you, when I've been in these places of defeat, I've heard this, get up. And I like the exclamation mark after get up. Like, get up. Get up. There's a cause for this. There's a reason for this. Get up. And the next thing is sanctify yourself. Get up. God says, why are you lying on your face? Quit blaming me. This is not my problem. This is your problem. You need to do something about the real issue because the issue is in the camp of Israel. It's on your side, not my side. I'm righteous. I'm perfect. I'm loving. I want to give you the promises. I'm all powerful. But there's this separation that you've allowed between yourself and me. And I cannot bless. And my presence can't go with you. Do something about the problem. In verses 11 and 12, sanctify yourself. Seek the Lord. God has the answer for our defeat. And here God revealed to Joshua the reason for defeat. It wasn't that when Joshua, you know, when God said, get up, sanctify yourself. It wasn't like God said, Guess what the reason is? Guess. No, God's like, there's a reason. There's sin in the camp. And I want you to get to the sin. You know, God wants to lead us in victory. He wants to help us get out. I have to say, those prayer times where they say, just confess your sin. And it's like 10 minutes and it's 12 minutes. It's like, I think I really covered birth on up. You know, I believe that sin is obvious. That God will bring it. The moment we say it, it comes. Because the Holy Spirit is more interested in getting rid of this sin than we are in getting rid of it. The Lord is more interested in bringing us into the promises than even we are into getting into the promises. God wants to deal with it. 
So God reveals to Joshua the reason for defeat. Israel sinned, chata, which is the Hebrew word for sin, and it means to miss the mark. It's the same as the New Testament word hamatia, hamatia, which means to miss the mark. Israel missed the mark. In other words, they're not on the right longitude and latitude to enter the promises. They've gone off course. Israel has moved off course. They're no longer headed towards the promises. They're headed now towards doom and destruction. They're going the wrong way. They need to amend and get right back in alignment. Chata. And then God uses the, the Hebrew word abar. Now, before we're told that he trespassed, and that was, was the word mal, but now it's a bar, which means violated. It means to go against the word. He, there is sin. Israel has sinned and gone against my word, and the whole nation was affected. How would they sin? By violating God's covenant, taking of the cursed thing, stolen, deceived, and someone has put it with their own stuff. In Hebrews 4.13, the author tells us that everything is open and naked before the eyes of God. You cannot hide from God. Remember Jonah trying to hide in the boat thinking God wouldn't see? God sees everything. God sees even to the very heart of men. He knows. I was just reading in John chapter 4 that Jesus did not need that anyone Tell him about men or testify about men because he himself knew what was in the heart of men. God knows. He knows our thoughts afar off. He knows it all and he sees it. The children of Israel, God tells them, you could not stand against your enemy. Victory was absolutely impossible. So they turned their back. They became doomed to destruction and lost the presence of the Lord. Neither will I be with you anymore. This is the reason. And you can only discover the reason for the defeat when you begin again to seek the Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God. When you begin to say, God, I want to follow you. I want to be in your promises. What is wrong? Where was my misstep? Where did I lose my way? Remember how Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, you've got all these great things going for you. You're very discerning. You're majoring in the apologetics. You hate sin. Great. But you're in defeat because you've lost your first love. Remember from whence you are fallen. Remember, get back in line, Ephesus. Get back in line. Remember from whence you have fallen. Get back. Get back in line so you can walk into the promises. And just like God said to Israel, my presence cannot go with you. To the Ephesians, he said, without love, I can't go with you. I'm going to remove my presence from you. I'm going to take the candle out of the lampstand. We need to be in line. We need to seek the Lord. There is a reason for defeat. Remember the cause of Israel's defeat. Sin, taking of the accursed thing. Presumption, underestimating the enemy. 
Then sanctify yourself, verse 13. Rededicate yourself to God and his work. Rededicate yourself. And then realign yourself with God and his purposes. Get back in alignment. Do things God's way. Follow his plan. Ask for it and walk in it. Presumption is when we take the lead. Sanctification is when we give God the lead. Find the sin, verses 13 through 19. In the morning, all of the tribes were called to assembly. Now Joshua is listening to God. Here is God's way. God is saying, I'm going to tell you exactly how you're to deal with this. You didn't seek me. And so you were defeated at AI. Now it's time to seek me. Set yourself aside for my purposes. And now do it my way. And God gives a series of instructions. These are testings. There needs to be an inventory, a search in our hearts, in our homes to find that thing. So the tribe of Judah is chosen from the 12 tribes of Israel. Next, the family of the Zarahites is chosen. Then the household of Carmi, and then Achan himself. Why this drama? It's to show the whole assembly how God sees and God knows. It's preventative. It's to give Achan time to repent and to save his family. But look at how embedded the sin is in Achan. He was willing to sacrifice his family for the accursed thing. Even when the pressure is on, he is willing to let men die that he might keep the accursed thing. He is willing to let all of Israel lose the presence of God that he might keep the accursed thing. He is willing to let Israel become accursed to doom as long as he can keep the accursed thing. He is willing to let Israel be paralyzed and never move into the promises as long as he can keep the accursed thing. I know many men and women who have sacrificed their families and all they have for the accursed thing, whether it be a job or money, pornography, another uh, man or a woman, drugs, alcohol, and they're willing to let others be accursed and cursed rather than to give up the accursed thing. They think they won't be caught. There's a delusion. I won't be caught. Other people are doing it. I think Aiken's like, oh, there's other people. I'll wait till they confess. But he was alone. And he only confesses because he's caught. Did you realize that? There's no apology. It's simply I got caught. Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel. And this is what I have done. When I saw among the spoils a beautiful Babylonian garment... In other words, he wants to look like the enemy. He wants to look like the world. He won't have a chance to wear it. But wow, when he gets settled, he's going to put that garment on and he's going to look just like the world. He just has to hang out with Israel for a little while longer. And then the true nature, the true garment, who he really is, is going to come out. 200 shekels of silver. A wedge of gold, these things that were to be dedicated to God alone, he took. And he says, I coveted them. I saw them. I coveted them. 
I took them and they are hidden in the earth in the midst of my tent with the silver under it. Achan saw it, coveted it, took it, kept it, buried it. That's the progression of sin. We take it, we see it, we want it, we take it, we keep it, we bury it. That which looked so beautiful and enriching to Achan became a curse to Achan, Achan's family, and all of Israel. That which looked like it would enrich actually impoverished. Now God says, deal harshly with his sin. I want you to not show any mercy on this sin. So Achan, his goods, his possessions, his livestock, and his whole family, they're taken to the valley of Achar, and they're stoned. And a heap of stones is placed over them. And maybe you're thinking, that is harsh. Oh, yes, it is. Because sin, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. This had cost the loss of life. And now it was a curse to Achan and even his children. These weren't little children. These were conspirators. Somebody mentioned, you don't have a wife. I think Achan's wife died because I think she would have kept him from that. Said, you take that Babylonian garment right to Joshua right now. I'm not having that thing in my house. But the idea, most commentators believe that it was a family conspiracy. They were all in this. In our lives, and I know this is not politically correct, but it's not politically correct in our society to call sin, sin, is it? It's not, no, no, I'm not a sinner. It's not politically correct. We think that by dealing, doing away with the term sin, we get away with the accursed thing. If we just don't call it sin, then it's not sin anymore. No, sin is sin, and it still causes a curse and death and repels the presence of God. We must get rid of it entirely. No bit of sin is to remain. Jesus said this, and it's politically incorrect. He did that a lot. Matthew 5, 29. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. One member of your body can curse your whole soul. We need to deal with sin harshly. Paul tells us in Romans 13, 14, that we are not to make any provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. We're not to accommodate sin. We're not to feed sin. We're not to hide sin. We're not to excuse sin. We're not to leave it alone. We're to deal with it. We deal too lightly with sin because we do not realize it's destructive, aggressive, and strong nature. We underestimate the power of sin, which is our enemy. Let me, I want to put Matthew 5, 29 in modern vernacular. If Facebook causes you to sin and gossip, and covet. Cut it out. Get rid of Facebook. Stop it. If your computer causes you to sin, get rid of it. 
Go old school. It's called paper and pen and file cabinet. If your friend causes you to sin, cut off that relationship. If your television causes you to sin, and here I have a story. John Corson was sitting with his family, watching a football game with his son, and a commercial came on. Now, John's very calm. Those of you who know John Corson, he's just calm. He's just a love. But a commercial came on that he felt was so stumbling to his son that he went into the garage and got an ax and came and chopped his television in half. Right there, right during the middle of the game. Just like, it's over. I will not have that in my house. Whoa. Whoa. All I'm saying is John's a man of God. If a song causes you to sin, don't listen to it. You see, do not let sin continue or have a place in your heart or your life. Confess it and ask God to come with his great scrub brush and get rid of it. If we confess our sins to God, if we admit he is faithful and just, not only to forgive, but to cleanse us, to get rid of that propensity for sin. Have you ever noticed, those of you who actually clean your bathtub, if a little place of mold happens and you bleach it out, but if you don't get rid of it completely, the next week, that little piece of uh, mold is back. And if you don't deal with it right away, it begins to grow. And pretty soon, you don't have white grout between your tiles. You have gray or spotted or black. Okay, that only happened to me, but it's happened. You're all self-righteous. My grout is white. Okay, fine. Hmm. It's a good thing I'm not doing bathtub, you know, or I'd be going, you're just like me. Ha, 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 ha. Anyway. On the cross, we vividly see the cost and also the cure for our sins. The cost of our sins is so great. It cost the holy, precious, sinless life of the Son of God. No one less than Jesus could pay the penalty for our sins. It took God's blood to atone for our sins. We see the cost, his suffering, his condemnation, his death. That's the cost of our sins. Sin must be dealt with or we will continually suffer defeat and pay for it. The Bible tells us without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We won't know the presence of the Lord. God's presence cannot bless our lives when we hold on to the accursed thing but we see the cure on the cross. All we need to do is come to the cross and say, Jesus, you paid for my sins already. You took the stoning. You took the beating. You took the the nails. You took everything that my sin deserves. You took the public humiliation. You took the shame. Everything that I deserve, everything that sin costs, And you did it that I might look to you and believe in your work. 
And I can be forgiven by just confessing. And you will forgive and you will cleanse. That's the cure. That's the cure. Have you felt defeated? Have you felt defeated? Do you feel defeated? Do you feel like your prayers are barred? Do you feel like you, they don't even go past the ceiling? They come right back down on you? I just have to say this. I was at a health food store and I was on the phone. And I turned my phone off and I said, I'm sorry about that. And he said, yeah, I'm so glad because your radiation is hitting the ceiling and coming back on all of us. I said, absolutely. And that's why I turned it off. Bad, bad phone, bad. I did do that. But have you felt defeated, defeated in prayer, defeated in your Christian life? Take inventory. Take inventory. Find the cause of defeat. Is it disobedience? Is it presumption? Have you underestimated the enemy? Have you felt the cost, the loss, the lack of faith, your heart melted, pursued by fear? Have you felt the loss of faith and friends or death, doubt or depression? There's a cure and it begins with get up. Get up. Seek the Lord. Obey his word. Put him back in the lead. Deal harshly with sin. There are many promises waiting to be won. The accursed thing is not worth the cost. It is not worth jeopardizing all the promises of God. God has good things, great things, the best things ahead. The enemy would like to tell you that a Babylonian garment looking like the world, that a wedge of gold and some pieces of silver is better than anything God will ever give you. Not true. God's got the best, the absolute best. He's got things that are so great that eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it even entered your imagination how great the plans of God are for you. And I am telling you that they are good, that they are better than anything that you can come up with. And God is so zealous to get you into those good things, get you into the promises, get you into the victory that he has for you. And we want to walk in that victory. The accursed thing is not worth the cost. God offers us so much more than the devil does. And God's gift are worth more, better quality, and eternal. So get up. Like literally, get up. Stand up. <laughs> and let's sanctify ourselves to God. Get up. Lord, here we are. We do not want to walk in defeat. So, Lord, we pray that you would keep us from sin. There are some, Lord, that we just need to be kept from sin. We need to remember that dependency on you. And we need to make sure that we do not get presumptuous or underestimate our enemy. Lord, there are others that have allowed to curse things into their heart. Maybe bitterness that defiles. Maybe anger. Maybe resentment. Hatred. Lord, these are the things that defile us, that spring up and defile others. Grumbling, complaining. Lord, sometimes we just don't want to call sin, sin. And these are things that we think, well, they're just little sins. But Lord, I pray right now. 
Lord, as we're here before you. And right now, as you're here before the Lord, maybe you've got a, an AI. Maybe you've got a little sin in your heart. Maybe it is anger. Maybe you've been complaining. You've gotten into a habit of complaining. Maybe it's grumbling. Maybe it's hatred. Maybe it's rebellion. I don't like the new times on Sunday morning. You know, it's time to confess it to the Lord and say, not my will, but yours be done. If that's you, keep your eyes closed, but lift your hands to the Lord. Say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. If you feel like maybe you've been presumptuous, you've gotten in front of the Lord and it's, it's cost something, then just realign yourself back behind the Lord. He's so gracious. He's so good. Again, he wants to lead you into the promises. Maybe you've underestimated the enemy. You didn't realize where that bitterness, that anger, how it's disfellowshipping you. You didn't realize how great this, the cost of that sin is or the loss. Right now, let's, let's sanctify ourselves. We want that holiness in the depths of our being. We want to see the Lord. We want to see the goodness of the Lord. We want to see the promises of the Lord. And let me tell you, Esau sold his birthright for a pottage of, of red meat. He gave away his birthright of being the child of God, of the promises of God. We don't want to do that. And the author of Hebrews likens that to bitterness when we hold on to bitterness and complaining and we're willing to disfellowship, we're willing to give up the promises of God for what? A Babylonian garment, a few pieces of silver, a wedge of gold. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Let's make Jesus the king and the commander again. The one who will take us into all the promises of God right now. Lord, we make you king. Lord, we ask you to take the throne of our heart and to lead us again. We seek your name. We seek your face. We seek your will. We want to come into every promise. We don't want to miss out on one promise. Lord, we don't want to assume that we have the victory over AI. We want to be led in the victory over AI. We want to walk from victory to victory through our commander, the captain of the Lord's army. We ask this, Lord, we want to be free. We want to be set free. In Jesus' name, amen.